I'm a cute physician working in Coventry and today I am very happy to welcome my new co-host for season two. Hello, I am Dr. Bryony Alderman. I am the RCP Education Fellow. Fantastic. Welcome, Bryony. I hope you know what you're letting yourself in for. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So, what's your background? What specialty? So, I am a palliative medicine trainee mm-hmm. in southwest London, mm-hmm. and I will be at the RCP as the Education Fellow as a year out. Okay, great. So, I'm going to throw you in at the deep end then. Brilliant. On your first podcast, and I'm going to start with a case. Okay. Okay, so, this is a 19-year-old. Okay. Professional rock climber. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a female. Okay. Who's been rock climbing for many years. And actually started rock climbing when she was really, really young. And went to the local rock climbing centre. Loved it. And sort of now does it semi-professionally. So... As, as is the way with sport is that um, you get sort of quite addicted to it. So training whilst at school was before school. And then there were some weights after school. And then there was training all weekend and pretty much trained every single day for rock climbing. And you're probably thinking, what is she talking about? Sounding very unfamiliar it, yes. to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all this training. <laughs> so um, came into hospital and it was only a couple of weeks ago. And she originally presented with complete paralysis okay which was unusual and it was paralysis of the lower limbs okay and no previous medical history hadn't been to hospital before and wasn't seeing her gp regularly for anything was on no regular medications wasn't allergic to anything no family history of note no social history of note didn't smoke didn't drink very very fit and healthy because of the training for the rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Family were also big into rock climbing, so it was sort of one of those things that they did. Now, when I went to see her, she'd already been seen by a consultant the day before, who, because of this sudden onset paralysis, had requested an MRI of the lower spine, which was completely normal, apart from some very subtle disc protrusion, but nothing that would account for the sudden paralysis. So I went back to the beginning and I started taking the history from scratch again. And she was 19, as I said, very fit and well. And a few days previously had noticed sudden onset paralysis. Okay. Completely unable to move her legs. So are we saying she just woke up and it was there or? Just woke up and it was there. Okay. Couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. She, however, had some element of sensation that was still present in her legs And she still knew when she needed the toilet. Okay. So she hadn't lost control of her bowels or her bladder, which didn't quite fit with the complete loss and the complete paralysis. Mm -hmm. There was pain associated with this, but it wasn't back pain. It was bilateral foot pain. Okay. So again, it was a little bit unusual. No pins and needles of note that she, she'd mentioned. She'd noticed some temperature changes in her legs. They felt hot, they felt cold at some times. And she'd, on direct questioning, she'd noticed that her feet changed colour. Okay. So, of interest, when I asked about the rock climbing and the sport that she did, she had had a few episodes of broken, you know, broken bones and... Um, She'd broken her wrist previously from a fall on the climbing. And also of note, she was wearing very, very, very 
tight rock climbing shoes. Okay. Now, when I was young, I used to rock climb, clearly not to this extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shoes are horrific. So they sort of scrunch your toes up quite tightly in, in there. Um, and she'd been wearing these, obviously, for many hours a day for years. Does this sound completely bizarre? It does. Okay. Yeah. I'm not quite managing to put it all together at this point. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you any more. Okay. Because this is the only information that I had at this point. Anything else that you want to know? So just to kind of recap in my head, she's 19. She does lots of rock climbing, very fit. No other medical history at all. Apart from the few little breaks of the of the bone in that she'd broken the tibia mm-hmm. and she'd broken a wrist, um, but nothing else of note. And had she needed any sort of operative intervention no, for any never. of those? Okay. Um, and when was the most recent one? A couple of years ago. Oh, fine. So she's not had any recent falls no. or anything like that. Okay. She does fall a lot. But um, no fractures and just sort of bruises and things like that. And anything that sort of minor illnesses, viral type illnesses, nothing like that. Not that she So she'd been well. Okay. And she just woke up like this in the morning. All right. So examination wise for her, what were the findings? So this is where we got interesting. So um, I did a full general examination to start off with. So her pulse was 80 beats per minute. Um, hands absolutely fine. Blood pressure was normal at 120 over 72. Mm-hmm. Her heart rate, as I, sorry, I've already mentioned that. Um, temperature, she was apyrexial. Capillary refill time was less than two seconds, as to be expected. Examination of the face, there was no anemia or jaundice. Mouth was absolutely fine. Heart sounds normal. Chest was clear. Abdomen soft and on tender. Now I did that. Because I hadn't got a clue what was going on. Okay. So I thought, okay, let's Glad it's not somewhere. just me, that's no, fine. <laughs> no. Then I went and examined the neurological system. So I always tend to start from top to bottom and I did the cranial nerves, which were completely normal. Okay. I then did upper limb examination, tone, power, reflexes, sensation, inspection, normal. Okay. Coordination, normal. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find anything at all abnormal in the arms, which was expected. I palpated down the back and there was no real clear signs of tenderness that I could palpate. So I then examined the lower legs. So again, I did the same. I did tone, which was normal. Clonus, there were less than five beats per minute. Sorry, less than five beats, which as expected. Power was interesting. Now, the complete paralysis, I noticed that she was able to move her legs in the bed. Yeah. And actually, when I went to examine the power, she was able to raise her legs. Okay. So she was unable to, so against, she was able to lift it against gravity, but she was unable to then keep her leg up when I was using uh, pressure. Okay, so four out of five for the power. And that was globally throughout the legs. Reflexes were normal. If anything, probably a touch hyper-reflexic. Sensation was globally reduced, including vibration sense. And light touch was subtly reduced okay and proprioception was intact coordination she was unable to do because she couldn't really lift the leg up enough to be able to do that properly um but what was obvious is that there was this was not a complete paralysis because she was able to move her legs and actually had been told by the nurses previously that she'd been able with a walker to walk to the bathroom and back Mm -hmm. i was even more stumped yeah (laughs) okay so just to go back to the sensation findings light touch Mm -hmm. was normal light touch was normal vibration sense was normal Normal. okay she did say that it was 
probably couldn't feel it as much as she felt that she could feel it, if that makes sense. So this is, and this is symmetrical? Both? Symmetrical. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. But coordination, you couldn't? Couldn't test. Because she was a bit weak. Muscles were fine. So there was no muscle wasting. There was no edema that was noticed. However, on inspection of the feet, they looked dusky. So when you said earlier she'd had some colour changes to the mm. legs, I sort of was thinking about vascular type stuff. Okay. Um, on that basis, maybe not um, sort of neurological necessarily. So mm. tell me, can you tell me any more about that? The colour changes that you saw? The pulses maybe? Pulses were normal. Yeah. So I, again, going down, thinking about what you were saying about the, they were slightly dusky coloured. Oh God, are they going to, what's going on with the pulses? Completely normal. Hmm. Okay, so that's good. So we had, and looking at hair growth, um, she'd been shaving her legs, so it was difficult to say whether there was any changes in the hair growth um, that was noticed. And were there any changes positionally with the, so if she sort of raised her legs, were Not there any changes? Not noticed, and to be honest, I didn't check lifting them up, whether it made any difference. So good thought, should I have done that actually, potentially? I'm still not sure I know what the diagnosis is, but I'm feeling kind of vascular is is jumping out at me as a... So I completely agree. I didn't know what on earth was going on. So now when I have a situation like this, complete diagnostic uncertainty. Mm. So first of all, I had to decide whether she was well or unwell. So as an acute physician, I always like to go, are you acutely unwell? Are you acutely not unwell? And actually she was well. Observations were fine, slightly incongruent, that I couldn't quite get my head round, was that she was a semi-professional rock climber, but actually didn't seem too bothered about these symptoms. So certainly, I guess if this was your job and you'd suddenly lost sensation or whatever and, and power in your legs, I would have thought you'd be more upset. So... The sort of things that started to go through my head are, is this real or not? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and I started to ask more questions about life and stress mm-hmm. and the pressure of, of, you know, doing so much activity. And she did say that actually it was very stressful. She was trying to get into a team um, of the sport um, that was leading to huge amounts of pressure from coaches and family to try and achieve this. And I started to think, is this a physical manifestation of actually psychological illness? Um, Always a very difficult diagnosis to make. And I don't think one that we should be making until we've ruled out everything else. Mm -hmm. Until I've ruled out an organic cause. Um, and it's really a diagnosis of exclusion. So I then went down, I now need to figure out what on earth is going on. Yeah. So let's do a surgical sieve. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start. Have you heard of vitamin D? Not the... I have heard of vitamin D, but maybe <laughs> you're referring to the mnemonic. I am. <laughs> so I love to use vitamin D. Um, yeah. And it's very useful in trying to identify. So V, we're going to start with vascular. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you think of any vascular causes of these symptoms? I mean, it would be very strange to get bilateral, very symmetrical type symptoms. Um, so I would say that's less likely. What about spinal artery infarct? 
Mm. <laughs> Rare. I've never seen it. No, um, not me. <laughs> but I will be led by you if you think it would be a reasonable differential. It's not something I'd jump to. And it's unusual in a 19-year-old. So, mm. anything else vascular? Nothing that I think would give the findings you described because her legs sounded like they looked relatively normal in terms of the mm. clinical examination. Um, mm. And I think if you had any more major vascular issue, you'd probably um, see something a bit more abnormal, would mm. be my thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transverse myelitis? As a sort of infective Yeah, cause. going on to eye, so eyes for infection. Yeah, but then she's got the... Hmm, still wouldn't... <sighs> it's just too bizarre. The, the, I think the neurological... Mm findings to me don't quite the sudden sudden onset mm. and the fact that bowels and blood are fine yes which is t for trauma we've got no history and well anything any history we do have is very long time ago and doesn't seem relevant in this case mm-hmm. okay a for autoimmune conditions can't really Diabetes? think of any she's been well though i'm gonna say no any weird neurologically autoimmune things I can't really think of. Lupus? Lupus causes everything. Could be lupus. Yeah, it must be lupus. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything else either, actually, um, or any other autoimmune conditions. Some weird vascular disease. Again, again if you're thinking it. of kind of spinal <clears throat> vasculature stuff, but again, yeah. we said that probably doesn't fit. And it's not classic of a mononeuritis multiplex, is it? Yeah. So I guess any vitamin B12 deficiencies? Again, 19, normal diet, be very... It'd be unusual, wouldn't it? Um, Pernicious anemia, again, I guess it's something you'd look for in the investigations, but metabolic causes? I mean, we just spoke about um, diabetes in the context of autoimmune disease as well, but that seems unlikely that she's got a metabolic disorder that's only just manifesting very suddenly at the age of 19. Yeah. Um, again, seems a bit odd. Mm-hmm. Iatrogenic? Anything we've done or she could have done to herself? Unless we would incorporate more of a functional condition mm-hmm. into um, iatrogenic, then I don't think that anything in the history suggests we've given her anything or, or done anything to mm-hmm. her. Um, you said she's not seen anyone before, she's no. not taking anything different, no medications, no. Anything neoplastic? Again, would be odd with a very sudden history and no preceding symptoms. So wouldn't necessarily put anything in there. And D is drugs. So she wasn't taking anything over the counter. She wasn't taking anything prescribed and there was no recreational drug use. And I did ask about any usage of medication from a training perspective. So steroids, erythropoietin, but she wasn't taking. Because I did think, is she had erythropoietin? Has she got thick blood? Is this causing an infarct? I mean, in my mind, I don't know what I was thinking, yeah. but I just, it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. So when things don't fit, I have to go back to basics. So, investigations. So what are you going to do? Oh, well, I guess for everyone, we'll do some basic bloods. Just let's get the normal stuff checked. So FBC, you get your hematocrit on there if you're worried about EPO misuse, Good that thoughts. kind of thing. What will happen to your hematocrit if you're using erythropoietin? So it will increase, um, which we would see on our full blood count. Mm-hmm. Full blood count was normal. Okay. <laughs> I want something to be abnormal to help me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, use and ease. Normal. Okay. Um, 
Bone profile? Normal. Liver function test? Normal. I'm sensing a pattern here. Mm -hmm. CRP? Normal. ESR? Normal. Wonderful. <laughs> so, there is one test I always do in these patients when it doesn't fit. Something weird and you can't quite put your finger on it. I don't feel any closer to an answer, if I'm honest. Glucose is normal, by the way. Okay. And sort of, did you do HbA1c and things? No, we didn't do that. Glucose was okay. She didn't have any signs or symptoms suggesting no. diabetes. So we remained, hadn't got a clue. So what next? Did you move on to do any imaging? Yeah, I'm not sure okay. what I'd image. I know you spoke about an MRI lower spine. Which had actually been done before I saw her. Oh, and you told me that was normal already. No. Would you x-ray the feet? I don't think it would be the first thing I'd jump to. No, no, I agree. Um, so she did complain of some pain in her feet. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it was very non-specific, And she said she'd had this pain on and off for a long time and she put it down to the very tight shoes she was wearing. I need some clues. Okay. So MRI was done, as I've said, yeah. of the lower back and it was normal. So, and I noted that nerve conduction studies and EMG had been requested to try and identify what this was. Um, so, I started to think a little bit broader. And I started to think about, okay, could this be um, something to do with her job, her sport? Mm -hmm. So, what I didn't want to do was say, this is all functional. Yeah. Um, because it was very real to her. And I reflected on a case I'd saw a year ago with a colleague. It was very similar, but it presented with arm pain. And again, I thought that was functional mm -hmm. and it wasn't. So she's wearing very, very, very tight shoes, doing huge amounts of exercise and has had some injuries to the feet. There was dusky discoloration of the feet anything at all that you're starting to think about that this could be i'm i'm still not sure you're talking about sort of tight shoes you're talking about dusky discoloration i'm thinking still vascular she caused some kind of a vascular injury that's causing pain and you're right i then decided okay so i still haven't got a clue i don't think the bilateral paralysis is is really happening but I'm worried about the pain in the feet and everything and the colour changes so I thought of complex regional pain syndrome ah okay so have you had much to do with complex regional pain syndrome no not really it's something I've heard of mm -hmm. um I'm not sure I've managed it or seen it clinically I certainly haven't diagnosed it myself so what was interesting is this case I saw last year that was missed by me and picked up by a colleague of mine uh, was complex regional pain syndrome and it's sort of been in my head ever since and complex regional pain syndrome is unusual mm -hmm. and um, it's usually as a consequence of trauma so soft tissue injuries sprains fractures but it can also occur in repetitive trauma so if you're wearing these tight shoes your feet are continuously being you know damaged in the shoes and on the whilst rock climbing actually that sort of damage can eventually contribute to the development of complex regional pain syndrome. Now, there are two types. There are type one and type two. Mm -hmm. um, mild type one um, often occurs following fractures and surgical trauma. Okay, so it's very common in orthopedic clinic, unusual to see it in acute medicine. Mm -hmm. 
you may see it in rheumatology potentially um, and then you've got um, more severe which um, can often be due to sort of prolonged immobility and can be a concern nobody really knows what causes it yeah. we know that it's multifactorial we know a little bit more that um, it's thought to be due to dysfunction of nerve fibres um, and that they con- continuous damage over time leads to increased responsiveness to peripheral stimuli. So painful stimuli um, and the nerve fibres are damaged, therefore it causes more central sensitization, and individuals feel the pain more. Um, Autonomic nerve dysfunction can also happen as well, which is why you can get the skin temperature changes and the discoloration and the duskiness Okay, in the feet. Um, and also you can get thinning of the skin and also hair changes mm-hmm. and nail changes as well if it's in the feet and in the hands. And did she have any of the no. nail changes? No, she didn't, no. Although to be honest, I wouldn't really know what specific nail changes I was looking for, but the nails were normal as I'd expect. Um, there's an eye, there's a theory that there might be some neurogenic inflammation within the nerve tissue. Again, never been proven. There's a theory that there may be some autoimmunity at play. Again, all theoretical. And again, there's some theory that there may be some defective intracortical disinhibition and hyperactivity of thalamic neurons. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all very theoretical at the moment. Nobody really knows what it is. So I then went and did um, some investigations to rule out. So um, we did, we've done the MRI, um, blood tests were all normal. So I then went on and did a nuclear medicine bone uptake scan. And this was very, very interesting. And um, do you know, I've never requested one before. (laughs) So very good. I was quite um, pleased with myself for requesting one and known how to request it. So it actually happened within a couple of weeks, which was fantastic. And when you've got somebody with chronic complex regional pain syndrome, you have increased metabolic activity within the damaged areas. And you see this as color changes actually on the scan. And you can get diffuse asymmetrical uptake in the areas that are affected. And that's exactly what she had. Ah. So she did have some changes on the nuclear medicine scan. It was suggested that I also request um, MRI of both feet because you can get these changes in arthropathy, although clinically it didn't fit that picture. So I'm waiting for those to be done. They're not back yet. I expect they're probably going to be normal. What what also I looked at was the diagnostic criteria for complex regional pain syndrome, which is the Budapest diagnostic criteria, 2004. Again, something that I don't use frequently. Probably more used in orthopaedic rheumatological departments. But we are seeing in acute medicine and general medicine a variety of cases from absolutely anywhere. So it was really nice to be able to pick this up and diagnose it. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole of the Budapest criteria, but um, things that they're looking for are sensory changes, temperature and skin colour changes, which we talked about, edema, any sweating changes, so excessive sweating or no sweating and is there a decreased range of movement so weakness tremor paralysis um and then you obviously put these together and figure out is that is this the right um diagnosis so this only i only got the results of this this week so i've now because i actually did send the patient home okay yeah 
I was happy that the paralysis wasn't anything serious. Mm. And actually, she walked out of the hospital. Okay. Which was fantastic. So we, um, when, I, when I had a very long chat with her, we talked a lot about the stress of competing. And I do maybe think that some of the paralysis may have been weakness and fatigue. Yeah. And not necessarily a physical concern. Um, but I felt that there was obviously something really actually going on. So um, we watched a walk. She went to the toilet. She had a shower. She felt very tired, but actually she was able to go home. And I felt that was the best place for her when I could see that she was walking and going to the toilet, etc. Um, so we did the nuclear medicine scan. And obviously the results have come back as they are. And I'm going to do an MRI scan. What do I do next, though? So how do we treat complex regional pain syndrome? Well, seeing as I didn't know the diagnosis, I'm not sure how I'm going to know about the management. So my next question was going to be, how did you manage her? Did you have lots of expectations about the treatment you would give or or something you could give her to make her better? um, It's tricky. And again, a lot of the treatment options with complex regional pain syndrome are... Um, there's not much evidence, okay? A lot of it's sort of um, what you've, what's been used in practice and has it worked or not. Obviously, every patient's individual. The key thing is occupational therapy and physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really early intervention from that perspective because we need to reduce pain, we need to reduce limb dysfunction and we need to make sure that she remains mobile. So getting physiotherapy is really, really important because it can also help with reducing the edema and improve also functioning daily activities. Um, occasionally, there has been some desensitization activities used um, to some effect. Um, and trying to keep moving is really important because what you don't want to do is stop moving the limb and rest because then you then get complete muscle wasting. Um, that is never good. And often you need quite intensive physiotherapy to begin with. There has been a theory, have you heard of mirror therapy? So it's basically when you use um, mirrors, I'm never quite quite sure, but, um, and it'd probably be worth looking over it, but you use um, a mirror to move your foot and then you look in the mirror and it has been shown that it does increase movement in yeah. the feet. But again, it's something that I'm not, as you can tell, haven't had too much experience with. Um, there has been evidence that corticosteroid can help um, prednisolone um, as a possibility. A lot of it, again, is hypothetical. Is there any information about sort of dosing of that or duration? So the dose um, is often 30 milligrams of prednisolone once daily for four to six weeks. Now, that worries me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. How would you feel with prescribing such a high dose of prednisolone. It's quite a burdensome treatment for something that there may not be a huge amount of evidence for with the potential side effects, particularly um, in someone young who enjoys their sport, um, who may not want to to deal with the potential Mm. side effects that come with taking steroids for such a long period of time. So I would feel Mm. a bit worried about it, certainly. Especially when the evidence is not that great. So there was one paper um, by Zorluk in 2008, published in the Hans Surgery Journal, that looks at the use of steroids. But again, it's a small study. So um, bisphosphonate. Okay. So there has been shown that bisphosphonate, either anandronic acid or permidronate, in some sort of early randomised control trials, does have some beneficial effect for the pain. So if you think 
you imagine your bone is there's increased activity mm-hmm. so um the bisphosphonate has been shown to affect the activity within the bone mm-hmm. and therefore reduce pain okay. patients with long-term complex regional pain syndrome can be osteopenic but the bisphosphonate doesn't really work on this it's more for the pain and of a case study of one which I've been involved in, the usage of the bisphosphonate has helped massively with the pain. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. But again, you have to think about the long-term effects of bisphosphonate mm. use as well. And then it looks at pain. Tricyclic antidepressants are an option. Gabapentin, pregabalin. Again, these all come with their... Own side effects. Own yeah. side effects. Some people have started to use depyramate, lamotrigine, levetiracetam. So going down the sort of anticonvulsant route but again very little evidence to say that this is good local anesthetic potentially sympathetic nerve blocks again all options some patients find tens machines useful but it's all very hypothetical in a condition like this which is unusual you have to take a very individualized approach to management so what might work for one may not work for another. And how are you arranging to follow this young lady up? So I referred this young lady to the uh, resident rheumatology consultant who is known to have an interest in this. Okay. Um, and has seen quite a few of these patients. So I referred her to him and um, he's going to see her within due course. And on discussion, which we've just had yesterday, he's thinking, okay, would, aside from the physiotherapy, maybe going down the bisphosphonate route with some tricyclic antidepressants or potentially some gabapentin and pregabalin as a possibility. So, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah that wasn't um, where I thought this was going to go. <laughs> I have to say, it completely threw me. Um, and it's really important in these patients to watch for complications um, of complex regional pain syndrome which are things like osteoporosis okay so if you're um not using that limb very often um and also you've had lots of fractures or damage um skin infections and breakdown is a possibility and depression Mm -hmm. psychological disturbance if you have had a career which has been so focused around physical activity for all of a sudden to stop. So early intervention with uh, therapy would obviously be something that we'd need to think about, definitely. Um, there aren't many guidelines for this, but the Royal College of Physicians have got guidelines. They do break down the management of this into the four pillars of the management of complex regional pain syndrome, psychological intervention, patient education, pain relief, and physical rehabilitation which we've talked about, and they suggest referral to rheumatology. Okay. Um, or um, sometimes orthopaedics, um, sometimes neurosurgery. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Mm. What's also interesting that the college document highlights is what they call yellow flags. And this is if somebody's not responding to treatment, why aren't they responding to treatment? And I think it's because there is such a, a complex overlay with psychological um, factors and physical factors in in the syndrome and they look at things like previous negative experiences with healthcare professionals poor coping strategies um 
there's been some discussion about people who use it for benefit fraud. That makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, overuse of appliances, anxiety, depression, um, they're very passive, uh, negative family influences. So these are all things that you need to look out for if the treatment's not actually working. Um, and aside from the treatment that we've talked about, it's really important that we goal set as well with these patients mm -hmm. to ensure that they, they can see in the future how they are going to actually get better. So really interesting case. Very interesting, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Certainly so. highlighted some gaps in my knowledge, so I've learned a lot. Mm. Any key learning points? Give me three key learning points. <laughs> so I think the main one that I picked up here is that something to consider, but definitely a diagnosis of exclusion. Mm. So making sure we've ruled out anything else potentially um, important to, to treat first. In terms of physical findings, we may see skin changes, nail changes, hair distribution changes that might guide us towards making the diagnosis mm -hmm. in someone who's had a previous history of injury. Yeah. And probably my third learning point would relate to treatment, which I think mm. is fair to say is possibly lacking in, in robust evidence at the moment, but things to consider would be steroids, bisphosphonates, and um, other anti-convulsant type drugs. But we need to make sure that we've got a good follow-up plan, encouraging mobilization and a multidisciplinary approach to management. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining the team, Bryony. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and if you want to get in touch, email at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.